Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. Good morning, church. It is an awesome privilege today to uh, interrupt this crazy season that we've been walking through, to interrupt uh, just a time where every time you turn on the television that uh, all you hear is bad news. It is our privilege to interrupt uh, just a season that has seemed to be filled with gloom and doom wherever you turn and to remind you that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is still on His throne, that hope has a name. His name is Jesus. Amen. Uh, I'm excited to be walking through uh, just a series as we lead up to Christmas, as we are reminded of the hope uh, that uh, we have in Christ as we're reminded of uh, all that his birth means, as we uh, are reminded of all that has been accomplished through the cross. And we, uh, we're we so glad that you're here to join us in that time. And we're going to be walking uh, through Luke's gospel, chapter 1 and chapter 2, uh, over the next few weeks. And uh, for the most part, we're going to try to navigate that verse by verse, at least in uh, chunks along the way. And we're going to see as we jump in, Uh, to Luke's gospel today. We're going to see that he begins his story uh, long before the singing of the angels, right? Long before peace on earth and goodwill toward men, uh, that he begins his story uh, before uh, any of those things. He begins his story in the midst of a period of silence. And today we're going to look at how God interrupted that silence. I want to share with you a message just called Silence Interrupted. And this is a time that 400 years have passed, and there's not been a word from heaven, right? The prophets have been silenced. And this, as Stan says, a 400-year time of silence. There's been no message that they have been given to report. Uh, We are going to see in this passage that even though there was silence, God had not turned his back on his people, even though his people had repeatedly turned their backs on him. Before we jump into Luke's gospel, I want to invite you to uh, turn to Malachi, and we're going to read just the the last verses of that chapter. If you uh, find the book of Matthew and you hang a left one page, you're going to be there. Uh, And we just want to read um, just this this last message in uh, verse 5 and 6 that uh, is given, and we're going to jump in uh, to Luke's gospel. Verse 5 and 6, Malachi Chapter number 4 says this, Behold, uh, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. Let's pray and we'll jump in. Father, we're grateful uh, to be able to dig into your word. God, we thank you that you are a promise-keeping God, Lord, that in the midst of silence, Lord, that Uh, God, that you speak. And Lord, we are going to see that today, Father. And we're grateful, Lord, that you choose unlikely people, God, that you choose, uh, God, people like uh, like me, people like all of us, Lord, to intersect and to be uh, just a a part of the work that you're doing in this world, Lord. But we are just supporting characters in a greater story. And so, Lord, I pray that you would point us to the greater story, God, that you would allow us to see the story of a husband and a wife. Lord, a story of discouragement, a story of despair. God, ultimately, a story of tremendous hope, Lord. And we, we pray, God, that as, as we dig into your word today, Lord, that, God, we would see that even when we can't see it, God, you're working. Even 
Lord, through difficulty and through hard times that you're working. And Lord, our response is to be faith in the midst of those times, Lord, that we might trust you even when we can't see. Lord, that we might trust you in the midst of whatever we may face. Father, we love you and we pray, God, today that you would allow us to leave worshiping you, Lord, with hope and expectation of all that you're doing. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now Luke's going to let us look in to the lives of a couple. Uh, now when I think about that word couple, I can't stop but interrupt this message uh, to wish my wife uh, 23 years today uh, is our anniversary today. And so um, she has been, yeah, she's been putting up with me uh, for that long. And uh, Jack Horton always says that behind every good man is a surprised woman and um, certainly fit that, but she is so so faithful to just walk alongside and encourage me. And a lot of times when uh, along the journey, uh, I certainly haven't seen in myself, she's seen things in me that I couldn't see and encouraged me and supported me and uh, just has been a rock uh, in my life. And so I love you. I thank God for you. Um, the Lord knows what he's doing, uh, even though her dad didn't think so during those days. Um, but... Happy anniversary and blessed, um, blessed in so many ways by all the Lord has done. But Luke's going to let us look into the lives of a couple. And this couple is a couple who loved the Lord. We're going to see that, right? This is a couple who's walking with Jesus, who, who loves him, who is an example of that love. We're going to see that even though they were people that were pursuing Father, even though they were walking with the Lord, they were dealing with discouragement. Maybe some of you feel that this morning, like you're trying all you can, um, but you feel like there's just dark times in the midst of your life. You're walking through difficult things. These people that we read about here, they had hope that was unfulfilled. They were uh, walking uh, with the Lord, but were discouraged. And we're going to see today that they experience an interruption in their lives. And we're going to pick up in verse 5 of Luke chapter 1. And the scripture says this, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. And her name was Elizabeth. Now, the first thing we see in here is that, that Luke is giving us a historical account, right? This is not a story of just dreamed up people. These are real people in real places uh, in the midst of time. And, and in this time, we see that there uh, was a governor who referred to himself as the king of the Jews. There was this uh, governor that, that would call himself Herod the Great. And in the midst of this time, this is where we are at. Now, they're going through a tough time. The, the Jews are going through a very difficult time. This is a tough time uh, in Israel. This is a time uh, where this guy who is a jerk and a tyrant is ruling. Uh, this is the kind of guy that has murdered members of his own family. He is jealous and he is crazy. Uh, it was said in that time, historians would say in that time, that people would say it would be safer to be one of Herod's hogs than one of his children. Actually had one of his children murdered because he felt like they were uh, threatening to his throne. This is the kind of guy uh, that we're talking about. And the Jews are miserable in this time. They've been crying out to God and they've been looking uh, and in need of a deliverer. This is the scene that we are 
in. And in the midst of this time, they're crying out. But what we find in the Scriptures is silence. What we find is this was a time where the prophets are not speaking, where there are no miracles, there are no angels that are uh, showing up on the scene and, and, and visibly uh, allowing a message to be shared. These are, this is a time of silence. And in the midst of this, we see that there's a priest named Zacharias. Now, we can know uh, a few things about him. He was from the division of Abijah. And so we can see uh, in First Chronicles 24, there's, there's these... Uh, uh, 24 uh, divisions of priests, and they would minister in the temple, and they would, uh, every six months, they would have this week. So here's this guy that is from uh, this division, and he is the a wife of one of the daughters of Aaron, right? So there's uh, just this picture of this priestly line of Aaron, and so she, she is uh, someone that he is married to, and there Elizabeth is from a lineage, right? They both have this history, right, or this lineage of service, uh, to the Lord, this priestly line of Aaron. And verse 6 is going to tell us something even greater. They're going to say, and we're going to learn something about these. So here's uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth. And verse 6 says, they were both righteous in the sight of God. I want you to soak that in for just a second. It said they were both righteous in the sight of God. I don't know a lot about every one of you. And I might look around this room and I might, walk through, and I might see Stan on the front, and I might say, you know what, Stan is somebody that's pursuing the Lord. Man, he is righteous in my sight. I see Richard, and I say, you know what, he loves the Lord, and he's pursuing him, and he's righteous in my sight. But I want you to know something. I don't see very much in their lives, right? I don't know every detail, but this passage says that these people are living their lives in a way that they are righteous in the sight of the Lord, who knows all things, who is aware of every detail. And it says, and they are blameless. Look at the rest of this uh, passage here. He says, and Verse 6, he says, they're both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. Now, this doesn't mean that they're perfect. doesn't mean that they never mess up. We know that there is only one that's sinless, and his name was Jesus, right? So we know that they're not perfect, but their heart is to pursue the Lord, right? We've been walking through 1 Peter and this command and this uh, calling for God's people to pursue uh, lives that are holy, right? To be holy as he is holy. And what we see in this passage is, is that pursuit is attainable, that we're not ever going to be perfect, right? We're never going to be sinless, right? But as we follow Jesus, we're going to sin a lot less. And as he works in our life, there's this pursuit that we see in their life, right? Scripture says that they were walking blamelessly. But verse 7 gives us some crazy information. It says that they're following Jesus and they're doing everything right. But in their minds, and it's not going so good, it says that they had no child. It says they're walking with the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. They're righteous before the Lord, but they're having no children. In this time and in Jewish culture, uh, this was an indication that they must have been doing something wrong. People would have looked at them, and, and they would have thought, you know what? I look at their life, and I look, and, and they, they appear to be doing things right, but I can tell because they don't have any children, there must be something that's messed up in their life. They must not be following God. And, and in, in this chapter, we're going to see that, that there was a reproach that they felt from those that were around them as they looked at their lives and said, you know what, there must be something that they've done. There must be some cause for this. Here they're going to be growing old, and there's no one that's going to be able to take care of them. There's going to be all those kind of things, hope and disappointment that they would have faced. And I know of some of you in this room that have had miscarriages and some of you in this room that have tried to have children naturally and have not been able to do that. And there's this 
this desire that they've had that's been unfulfilled. I can imagine as she's walked through this time as Elizabeth and her husband have walked through this time, maybe there's mornings that she got up and they've been trying to have a children. Maybe there's mornings that she got up and she's just queasy. Maybe there's mornings that she got up and she said, you know, I think, I think this time, I think I'm pregnant. I think maybe there's miscarriages that they have. I don't know all the things that they're facing, but, but I can imagine how discouraged and how weary that they were in the midst. And in their mind, they're saying, you know what? We're doing the best we can. I'm following the Lord as best as I know how. And I'm still walking through this difficult time. Maybe some of you feel that way even this morning. Maybe some of you are saying, you know what? I'm, I'm pursuing God as best as I can, but I'm still single. God, I, you know, all my friends, every time I turn around, somebody's getting married, but I'm still single. Maybe you're in here and, and you were uh, desiring to grow old as a spouse, and you hear words like happy anniversary, and you're saying, you know what, my marriage is in a weird spot right now, and my desire was never to go through a divorce, but I'm being divorced. Maybe you're saying, you know what, I'm always overlooked at work in my promotions, whatever those kind of things are, and you're saying, you know what, I'm, I'm doing my best to walk as blamelessly as I can before the Lord, and these trials are still in the midst of my life. Can I remind you, when I read this passage, I'm reminded that we must never assume that trials and difficulties are coming our way only because of some type of disobedience. And that's what the world wants to say, right? Where is your God in the midst of this situation? But we know that God allows trials to come into the midst of uh, His people, and He is working even in the midst of those trials, that ultimately uh, everything that filters through the Father's hand is coming uh, in our lives, and He allows those things for His ultimate purposes and for uh, our ultimate good, right? And that we walk in those places and we, we navigate those places. When we were uh, walking through the book of James, uh, I kept transposing a word. Every time I would try to write down the word trial, I would write down the word trail. And in the midst of that, the Holy Spirit just really stirred in my heart one morning as I was trying to write that down and I was frustrated and I just kept writing it down wrong. And it reminded me that trials are trails, to make us complete in Christ. Look at James chapter 1, verse 2. Scripture says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We have a God who is faithful in the midst of our trials, and our response to the trials that are in our life is to trust in a loving Father and to remain faithful. That's what we're going to see in this passage, that our response in the midst of whatever we faith, face is faith. Whatever we are walking through, and we trust, and we say, you know what, I, we know that God's ways are higher than our ways. There's times in our life that we don't understand every detail about what's going on, that we can't uh, put our finger on everything that God is doing, but in the midst of those times, we trust Him. I had the blessing last night of going and visiting Ralph Sanders, and Ralph is uh, a longtime deacon of our church, and uh, Ralph, this past few weeks has been walking through just a very difficult trial, and he has lost vision in both of his eyes. He's completely blind at, at this time, and um, the doctors are not expectant that his vision will come back. And we know that we have a God that uh, is able to do abundantly above what we even ask or think, right? We know that God's able to perform miracles, but I was there with Ralph uh, last night at the hospital, and, and as we were talking, nurses were coming in, and Ralph was just encouraging them and witnessing to them, and and obviously had been throughout that time. And, and Ralph made this statement to me. He said, you know, preacher, he said, God's got a plan. 
He said, God's got a plan. He said, I feel good. I just can't see. And he would encourage and witness. And I was thinking about these nurses. And here these nurses were coming into his room. And Ralph had been talking to them about the Lord. And he'd been talking to them about the church. And he'd been talking to them about the faithfulness of God. And I'm sitting there thinking. And Ralph uh, is sitting there. And he can't see uh, through his physical eyes. But I'm thinking, here are these nurses that are coming in. And I pray that through the trial that Ralph's dealing with, that even though he can't see that, what he's navigating might allow them to see something much greater, right? The goodness and majesty of our God. And he said, you know what? God's got a plan. So we trust and know that even when things are difficult, we know that the world is watching and that God is working. So they're righteous and they're blameless, but they're barren. Look at verse 8. It says, now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. So here uh, we see Zacharias is going to be able to go into the temple to offer incense and prayer, right? That he's going to be able uh, to go in. And there's a, when we think of there's a priest, this is not just one of a couple of priests. There's a bunch of them, right? There's near 18,000 uh, priests that are estimated. And this is something that he would only uh, do most likely once in his lifetime. So he's a priest and he's got a, his uh, responsibility of some people and he's left his, his post and he's gathered, uh, he, he's made his pilgrimage right to Jerusalem and, and here they are, they would have stopped at the base of the mountain, they would have gone through this ceremonial cleansing, they would have uh, groped themselves uh, in white showing that they were forgiven in the sight of God, they would have uh, climbed this mountain, they would have been singing praises to the Lord, they would have gotten to a place there where they would have rolled the dice right and, and out of 760 men, out of these people that were part of his division, out of those men, uh, there was one that was going to be uh, chosen by lot to go into the presence of God, to go into the holies of holies, to go into this place and, and as close as they could get to the presence of God and they would offer this incense, they, they, would, they would be in uh, this place and his lot had been drawn. Uh, here he is in this moment and we see this and we know that this is not just something by chance, that God is sovereignly working in this, that God is in the midst of these details, that God is doing His thing, and we see His providence at work. Verse 10. So here's, here's the people, right? There's this whole multitude of people. Verse 10, it says, And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. Now, he was prepared for all that. That was everything he was expecting, right? And I can imagine that moment. Like, he is a lot. The lot falls to him. He is... And he's going to go in and be the priest that does this duty. It's going to be incredible. The people are gathered outside. They're praying. In verse 11, something crazy happens, right? The Scripture says that an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. And Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel and fear gripped him. Anytime you see an angel encounter somebody in Scripture, that, that's what you're going to see is, is them absolutely scared uh, to death, right? This is an understatement to say fear gripped him, right? I, I can imagine in this moment his reaction was crazy, and the angel responds just like angels do in Scripture. And you're going to see this as we walk through the Christmas story, but he's going to say, do not be afraid. He says, because your petition, Zacharias, your petition's been heard. Your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth is going to bear you a son. She's going to bear a son, and you'll give him the name John. She says, your prayer has been 
hurting. I don't think that in that moment that he was praying for a child. I think him like the other Jews in that time, they were praying for a deliverer. I don't know what was on his heart. Maybe there's this prayer that he's been praying for years. Maybe a prayer that he's really, probably in all reality, given up on. He says, your prayer has been heard, right? God has heard. The fact is, he's heard all along. Can I say that this morning? He is hearing your prayers. And, and he says, you're going to have a son. And you're going to have joy and gladness, verse 14. He says, you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while he is yet in his mother's womb. So we, we see he's going to be a Nazarite from birth. We see this, this uh, uh, picture there. It says he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And see if this sounds familiar. It says he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who goes as a forerunner before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make a, a ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, we read the last part of Malachi, but the, the, the last part of that book, the chapter 3 and chapter 4, uh, they are uh, telling us that God's going to send a prophet, that he's going to send this prophet, and he's going to be preaching a message of repentance, preparing the way for the Messiah. And this prophet, he's going to turn the hearts, right? He's going to preach, preach this message of repentance, and the hearts of the fathers are going to be turned back to the children, and the hearts of the children are going to be turned back to the Father, that, that his message, he says that he's coming, and he's going to be a forerunner of the Messiah. He's going to be a forerunner of Jesus Christ. And this message of repentance, that's what it's going to cause. He's going to preach in such a way that it causes the hearts of the fathers to turn to the children and the children to turn to the fathers. And I would say this morning that the, the measure, the effectiveness of the preaching and the proclamation of the Word of God and our obedience to the Word of God as we read the Word of God would be seen in the same way that the hearts of fathers would be turned back to their children, that children would be responding in obedience to their father. There would be this, we live in a generation, right, a fatherless generation where there's so much of a percentage of, of children that are born uh, into this world that have no uh, father active in their life, right? And it makes all the difference, right? It changes everything. And we can't, we can't imagine this kind of message impacting in this kind of way. John's message is going to cause this kind of change, repentance and restoration. And his response is like, say what? Um, look at verse 18. Zechariah says to the angel, how will I know this for certain? How can I? Come on now. He says, that you, you, I hear what you're telling me. How can I know this for certain? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. He says, come on, are you telling me, like, we're going to be raising them at the rest home? I mean, this, he says, I'm, I'm old. And he said, my wife, she's old. He's like, I'm old, but she old. She's so old. Sherry told me I shouldn't do all these jokes, but I can't resist it. It's just so good. <laughs> I, I know I should have listened to her a long time before now, but she's so old, her blood type is discontinued. She's old. <laughs> Seriously, like, that's how old she is. She's she old. She's so old, her Social Security number just got one digit. She's number four. 
She's so old, it's for real. She's so old, she rewinds all the Netflix movies before turning them off. That's how old she is. She knows whether the chicken or the egg came first. I could go on and on, I promise, but I should stop. Silence is interrupted, right? So Zechariah says, I'm old, she's old, there's no way this could happen. Verse 20, he says, and this is, the, this is uh, kind of crazy, right? Let's look at verse 19. Let's look at verse 19. Zechariah says to the angel, how will I know this for certain? For I'm old and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel says to him, I'm going to tell you how I'm going to know. He said, because God sent me. I'm Gabriel. And by the way, like if you follow the scripture, you know about Daniel, you know about anything. I'm one of the guys that show up when there's an important message. The fact is, there's only a couple of angels that we really know about in the scripture, and I'm one of them. He says, the reason you're going to know is because I'm sent from God. I'm Gabriel. He says, like, like I'm, I'm, I'm the guy. Like, like maybe Zachariah's going, hey, is your boss around? Is there somebody else I can talk to? And he's like, listen, I'm Gabriel. This is what he says. He says, listen, I'm Gabriel. And he said, I've been sent to speak to you and bring you the good news. And he says, the Everything's been silent for this long, like 400 years, and now you're going to be silent, buddy, because you didn't believe. This is what he says. He said, Behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day which these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their, in their, in their proper time. So he says, you're going to be silent. Now, maybe this was, a, maybe this was Elizabeth's prayer. Right? <laughs> maybe she's going to know. <laughs> some, of y'all are like, some of y'all have been praying that. It's awful. Um, like, I wish he would hush for just a minute, right? Like, what could have happened? Um, now, he would have loved to have come out and announced this, right? Can you imagine getting this kind of message and then not being able to tell anybody? So, he says, you're going to be unable to speak. Now, he would have loved to have come out. He would have loved to have navigated that. But God's teaching him something. And what he's teaching him is that when uh, God speaks, that you respond and you believe in faith, right? That you trust him in the midst of that. He would have loved to have come out that, but he was not able to. Can I remind you before we go on that that impossible circumstances in our lives that they prepare a place for divine interruption? Impossible circumstances in our life prepare the way for divine interruption. God's grace, His power, His mercy, it's displayed in the midst of our weakness. It's displayed in the midst of our problems, and our call is not to give up. Maybe some of you have a prodigal child that has wandered from home. Maybe you are navigating sickness. Maybe you're walking through uh, difficult times. Maybe your marriage is on the brink of divorce. Maybe you feel like all hope is lost. Maybe there's a person in your family. Maybe you're battling addiction. Maybe a person in your family is battling addiction. I'm reminded that impossible circumstances prepare the way for divine interruption. And our response in the midst of those circumstances can be one of two things. It can be fear or it can be faith. It can be trust or, or it can be uh, torn. And it can be those kind of things. And when we walk through difficult times, it turns our heart to God. It turns uh, our our hearts and dependence to Him. It causes our hearts to posture in prayer. It drives us to dependence on God. And, and when we are walking through trials, can, many of us would, would probably say, you know what, there's a lot of times that we've prayed and it just seems like God's slow in answering our prayer. It seems like there's just this delay that, that we're not getting the answer in the time that we uh, would desire it, that Maybe sometimes the answer is not what we desire. Maybe we've prayed for a loved one that's walking through a difficult time and, and we've not seen the healing that we've prayed for. Maybe we've walked through those kind of places. God always answers our prayers. Sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes it's no. Sometimes it's later. But when God chooses to interrupt the impossible, it is always for His glory and our ultimate good. 
And the other side of that coin is when God chooses not to interrupt the impossible. It is always for His glory and our ultimate good. And our response in either way is trust and faith. Look at verse 21. We see these people, they're waiting for Zacharias, and they're thinking, this guy's praying all day. Like, we got lunch. Some of y'all are thinking, I wonder what time it is, because he probably about done all them jokes. I mean, he could have told one more of those, and then we could close this thing. But they're, they're waiting, and they're saying, hey, he's praying a long time. I wonder, what's, I wonder what is taking so long. I wonder what is going on. They're wondering at his delay in the temple. Scripture says, but when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them, but he remained mute. Can you imagine wanting to share all that he had and not being able to say a word. Like, it's a game of charades. Like, he comes out and he's like, and he's like, I'm, how do you describe an angel, right? And he's like, the fear. Like, I don't know. I mean, that's the kind of moment that he's in. And then he's like, and they're like, I don't know. I don't know how he's describing this thing. But it says he was unable to speak. So I, I just, these moments, I don't want to read by these and just think. So he went in and then he found out this. I mean, can you imagine like what he's going through in the time that his wife's going to be pregnant? Uh, it's at least nine months, right? We're, we're going to see. And he can't talk. It says when the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. Goes back to see his wife. He can't talk. Can you imagine? Like maybe she's rejoicing. I don't know. But he gets back and he, he, he can't tell her. She's like, no way, this is not happening. Verse 24, though, he says, After these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant, and she kept herself in seclusion for five months. And look at what she says. She says, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. I wonder why she stayed in seclusion for five months. I thought all kind of crazy things like, Maybe it was when she wasn't showing enough to be, like, clear, and she's already been embarrassed, and she's already been. Anybody ever asked a lady, like, anybody ever been like, oh, when you do? She's like, I'm not. Anybody? <laughs> I've seen that happen. It's, it's funny when it's not you, kind of. You don't ever ask that, right? You only ask that once, right? You never ask that again. But, but she says she, she stays in seclusion, and she... She says, you know what, this, she's reflecting on all these things, and she says, this is the way that the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor on me. to Take away my disgrace among men. She's, she's been discouraged. She's been weary. And the scripture says that they've been pursuing the Lord, that they were in the sight of the Lord, that they were living righteous, that they were walking in obedience, that they were walking blamelessly before the Lord, that they're pursuing the Lord. And, and here she is living with reproach. She's feeling like, man, because I'm barren, because God's not blessed me with this child, has he forgotten me? Maybe those questions are running through her mind. And, and we see in this whole passage that the Lord was watching all the time, right? But the Bible tells us that, that the Lord looked upon them and he, he saw that they were blameless. He saw that they were walking uh, with integrity before them, that they were pursuing holiness. He saw them, the Scripture says that he was watching all along, and here she is, she's realizing, man, God, I did not forsaken her in the midst of the difficulty, in the midst of the hard times, in the midst of all that she was facing. 
Can I remind you this morning that no matter what you're facing, that our God is not distant. Right? As we sung, hope has a name, Emmanuel, right? God is with us, right? He is not distant. Don't, just because we're doing the right things or just because we're, you know, all, we can fill in all these blanks, doesn't mean that we're not going to face trouble. doesn't mean that we're not going to walk through difficult times. Can I remind you there was 400 years of silence? There were 400 years of silence. The Jews were looking. They were looking for relief. They were looking for the Messiah to come. They were looking for a deliverer. They were looking at those things in 400 years of silence. There are people that had died without seeing what they were going to witness, right? There are people that were waiting for what Malachi had prophesied. They were people that were waiting, and here we are. We find ourselves in the midst of this broken world, in the midst of this time between the first advent, and as we look back and we are reminded that that the king of glory, right, the king of heaven stepped out from the very throne room of heaven, uh, that that he took on flesh, right, the scripture says, and dwelt among us, that he was uh, full of grace and truth, right, that he he took on uh, flesh, that he lived a sinless life, that he died a cruel death on a cross in my place and in your place. We look to this first advent and we remind, we're reminded of the hope that we have in Christ. But here we are in the meantime. Here we are in this time where we look for that second advent. We look for that time where Jesus will return, where he will restore and make all things right. And we find ourselves in the midst of that. We find ourselves when, when Peter was, was writing uh, and, and as we've been walking through First Peter, that he reminded them that they have an inheritance undefiled, incorruptible, reserved in heaven, right? That we, that, that we see this picture that, that their hope is fixed on the return of Christ. And here we are between the first advent and we are looking for the second advent. And we find ourselves in difficult situations. We find ourselves weary. We find ourselves uh, navigating difficult times. We find ourselves facing sickness. We find ourselves like Ralph. Uh, in, in the midst of that, that says, you know what, I know God has a plan. I know, and we find ourselves in the midst. I love the scriptures because they're filled with, with small stories like of Zacharias and Elizabeth, right? They're not the main storyline, right? The main storyline and everything that we're getting to and everything that we're pointing to, well, we're going to see an angel in the coming weeks uh, that I- encounters a lady, and he's going to say, greetings, favored one. He's going to look at her. He's going to say, you know what, you found favor. God has looked at your life, and he says, you're going to deliver Jesus to the world, I'm choosing you. You're a teenage girl. You don't feel like there's anything you uh, can do. You may not feel like you're noticed. You may not feel like anything, but he's going to say, you know what? I've noticed your life. I've noticed how you're living. I've noticed those things that you are. And here we are in the midst of, of these weird times, in the midst of these difficult times, and it feels like maybe you were saying, you know, what is going on? We're looking for deliverance from all kinds of things. We're looking uh, for the return of Christ. We're looking in those things. And in the midst of those times, there's difficulty and there's darkness and there's hard times. And I think about the response that I heard from Ralph yesterday where he says, you know what, I can't see right now. I said, how you doing, man? He said, I can't see. God has a plan. I'm going to tell you, there's so much about that that resonates with me. We can't see everything that's going on. We don't understand all the details, but we know. We have a supporting part in, in the story of Christ, right? That we have a, a message, right, to share. Hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. Silence has been broken in this passage, and we can't see. But there are others around us that are blind in a different way. 
and they are looking and they need so much to see the interruption of the mess of this world and to, and, and to be reminded there is hope. There is peace. That, that God is working even in the midst of those things. That God has a plan. And our response, no matter what our troubles, no matter what our trials, no matter what our situation is that we would trust. That's really the message that I see for Zacharias and Elizabeth. That's the message that I think God is, is reminding us that He is faithful. He is a promise-keeping God. We, we're not home yet. God's not finished. And our response, no matter what we can see, no matter what we can't see, is trust in Him and say, God has a plan. And I'm holding on to that plan. Even though I'm weary, even though I can't see, my job is to declare the good news of who He is. I want to ask you just to bow your head and close your eyes for a moment. We're going we're gonna to worship together. We're going we're gonna to have a time just where we can sing and just lift high His name. And I want to just ask you, I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what kind of things you're facing. You may feel like, Elizabeth did in this passage, you may be just feeling weary and you know what, what's going on in the meantime, I know there's hope coming, but it sure seems dark right now, it sure seems difficult right now, and I, I just pray that the scriptures would, would encourage our hearts this morning, that we would be reminded of the hope that we have in Christ, and that we could respond in faith, Lord, even when I can't see it, right God, I'm trusting you. Lord, I pray you'd use my life to allow other people to see who you are. Even the difficult circumstances. God, I know there's a world around me that is watching. That might be the cry of your heart. My response is just to trust. Maybe you're here and you've never trusted Christ. You've never surrendered your life to Him. Maybe God's speaking to your heart this morning. And so you know what? I know that Scriptures are true. God is a promise-keeping God and that through the birth, life, the sinless life, death on a cross in our place, through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, that God broke the silence and He said, we can have a relationship He said, how do you do that? It's by faith. It's believing. John came with a message to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus began his earthly earthly ministry. Those words, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's our call that we might recognize where we're at. And that in repentance and faith, right, we all like sheep have gone astray. We're going our own way. We recognize that and we just respond in faith and turn. And in trust and faith and obedience, we surrender our lives to Him. Maybe you're here and you've never trusted Jesus. I want to invite you this morning call on his name scripture says that 
There's not one of us that are righteous. You know, we read Zacharias and Elizabeth them walking blamelessly before the Lord, but they were not righteous in their own opinion. There's none of us that we all miss the mark. Scripture says that all of sin and come short of His glory. That in the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of the difficulty, in the midst of those times that maybe you're says that God demonstrated his love we don't have to wonder that that God demonstrated that he commended his love toward us right that he we don't we don't have to wonder based on our circumstances if God loves us because he's demonstrated that and while we were yet sinners that Christ died for us